The Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the fifth chapter. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The Gospel of the Lord. So I had a lot of free time um, on the trip, not due to scheduling, but rather due to the fact that I got a bit ill and had a headache for a few days in the trip. So I decided to read the Bible, um, specifically Job and, or sorry, Job and Matthew. And out of those two chapters, this quote that was just said in the Bible stuck out to me the most because it really held true for our trip. Just the entirety of the Blackfeet tribe, especially the elder that we met, Tom. I'm sure many of you heard about him either in the past sermon or in the uh, breakfast over there. He was really an amazing person. For those of you that don't know, he was the elder that we first met on our trip, um, going to the Blackfeet Nation. He had a way of speaking that you just sit down and listen to him, and all of a sudden, wait, it's been two hours? So it was really weird. <laughs> but um, he gave us a lot of insightful wisdom and I couldn't be more glad that I got to meet him. But he definitely went through a lot, losing a brother, a nephew, and in-law. Granddaughter, I, I couldn't, yeah. That's the one I can't remember. It's all in the past year, and he's been struggling with it, setting up the Sundance Lodge, but he managed to do it. And he's managed to get a lot of true friends with him, and is just glad to be doing this. And I look at him and think, he's gone through all of this, and yet I struggle to even come up with stuff for homework. <laughs> it's. It's really amazing how they're on their own time over there. There's sort of Indian time there, and yet there's a lot of stuff that gets done. 
Um, it, was, it was not only the people, though, that felt spiritually rich and yet weren't the richest places on the planet. Um, Glacier National Park, we did a hike there. I did not think it'd be that long. Yeah, probably should have brought more than one water bottle with me. Uh, we got to the top of a 10-kilometer hike, about seven miles, and the view there was just amazing. You could look out, see the glacier on one side, and then turn around and see a bunch of lakes and the places that you had just hiked. You actually had to cross through a waterfall and get wet. Um, it was just an amazing hike, and the place was beautiful. And I just looked out at this view and thought, this isn't something that feels just like, oh, this is a great view. It felt like there was God in that place, that the actual place itself was full of life, even though it just looked a bit normal. And getting to see these um, beautiful views and meeting Tom and everyone else in the Blackfeet tribe was just really amazing. Good morning. My name is Abigail or Abby, and I thought that Elton John was dead for almost two days during this trip. Short story shorter, I saw a few magazines at the grocery store in Browning that said something about remembering a legacy and only connected the dots when we were in Glacier without cell reception. So, as I have a tendency to say things at the exact wrong time, I managed to convince some of the group that Elton John might be dead in the same exact place we couldn't check. Pushing that aside, this trip was amazing. This feeling of peace settled over me. An odd kind that makes you want to sit and sigh and drink in the scene in front of you. I wanted to run my fingers over every square inch of those mountains, memorizing them, and aching in my chest to run, to find a quiet place to sit and just be. I was in the SUV en route to Montana. I was staring out the window, just watching as the buildings became fewer and fewer, as the plains and fields became more and more prevalent. The mountains were cresting the horizon, and I just stared. I was in a state of being and not being, simultaneously awake and sleeping. I was dazed by the beauty of the passing lakes and golden fields, of the cows and buffalo that started to spring up, of this land I had no idea existed. I was sitting on an open-air trailer with about 20 other kids and adults taking a ride back to the Sundance Lodge. We were eating dust from the truck's wheels, but I didn't mind. I was too enamored by the mountains around us. Heart Butte and Feather Woman were taking center stage with Major Steel backing them up. I was enamored enough to be able to tune out the five teenage boys from the other group who were trying their darndest to sing Smash Mouth's All Star, but could not for the life of them sing it on key. <laughs> we were riding with the center pole, back to the soon-to-be-built lodge. The center pole is a straight tree with a Y at the top to act as like a nest of sorts for the reach poles. 
and that's where I was sitting, at the Y. I was resting my hands on the white bark, and I had this feeling. It wasn't my usual feeling of touching nature, which is dirtiness. I've been trained since a young age because of my allergies to really not touch much of anything outside because I might have a reaction. But even with the white bark rubbing off on my fingerprints, I still felt clean. And maybe it was just my heartbeat in my fingertips, but I swear as I rested my hands on that tree, it had a pulse. It was the last night. We had made a campfire to roast marshmallows and I couldn't stop staring at the stars. Ursa Major, or the Big Dipper, led me to the North Star and all I could do was stare. I was exhausted from a terrible night's sleep the night before. I had been hit in the head multiple times by my tent in 60 mile an hour winds. It just kind of bent down to hit me. Um, <laughs> and I was just like mesmerized by these stars. The Milky Way was clear against the dark backdrop and Jupiter and Saturn had made a debut early in the evening. Once I had gotten ready for bed, I stepped out of the teepee to make sure the tent was closed as we hadn't been able to take it down before it got dark. I ran into Kara coming back from the bathroom and I just stopped. Kara, look up, I said. These pinpricks of light pierced through the dark sheet of night and I couldn't tear my eyes away. As we stood in the cold, they turned with the earth, slowly, slowly, and I just wanted to cry. The stars were winking and smiling at us, opening their arms to hug us, to envelop us in their light. Eventually, we made our way back to the teepee, and before I closed my eyes, I saw one more look through the opening in the top. After that, I was out like a light. We met Tom at his house. Tom was one of the elders we had most contact with. We had come to his house to find out what our first project would be, but we ended up talking to him for an hour and a half instead. Between talk of religion, of ancestors and culture and Mother Earth herself, he said something that stuck with me. Everything has life, he said. Everything. A rock, a plant, a bug, an animal. All I could do at the time was nod my head, but as I got to thinking, I couldn't shake the image of God just reaching down, placing their fingerprints on all of us, and then turning to creation itself and holding it in their hands, breathing life into everything they created. Tom told us about a girl who asked, how does a rock have life? After making her promise that she wouldn't be mad at him, he threw a rock at her. <laughs> he then explained to her that while he might have thrown the rock, the rock was the one to hurt her. The rock hurt her. The rock which has life. We all do. And as we pulled onto the dirt road to leave the Sundance, I felt this pull at my soul. God reaching down and breathing life back into me. Now I know I'm never alone because everything around me has life. Life that God gave us and life that we need to protect and cherish. Thank you. Talk about a tough act to follow. <laughs> um, I'm Stephanie, and going on to this trip, I expected a lot of things that didn't happen. What I didn't expect to happen was being put to the side and unable to join in the ceremonies because of a small, unfortunate thing. I didn't expect to be isolated in the cook tent where everyone else could go and enjoy what the Native Americans had to offer. I didn't expect to be in this hot and muggy tent 
for hours and hours on end. But I also didn't expect to meet some of the most amazing women that I have ever met. There was Floy and Dee and Terry and her daughter Maddie. They all had gone through hardships within the last few years, yet they had pulled through. Dee recently had to become the guardian of her grandson. Floy lost her brother-in-law, her granddaughter, and her nephew. Floy is also Tom's wife. Terry and her daughter had to drive 18 hours to get to where they were because they lived in Minnesota. And all these women, they, they helped me realize that that unfortunate circumstance was actually a gift. It was a blessing in disguise. I didn't have to be alone. I wasn't stuck in a tent. I got the opportunity to meet a whole bunch of people that I didn't think I would meet. I got the opportunity to help out and to do something that actually meant something to a whole bunch of people. I got to have a coffee ban on me because I drink too much coffee. <laughs> it's a fact. That ban was lifted on the last day by my pestering, of course, but I wasn't isolated like I thought I would be. I wasn't the outsider looking in. I was part of that community. We don't always have to be cut from the same cloth in order to feel a part of a place. Any one of us can go to, let's say, a Muslim community and share our experiences and have them share their experiences and create friends and memories. We can always go to a poor little hovel down the street and say, here I am to help, here's what I have to offer, and thank you for being here. We don't always have to look at our neighbors and say, wow, I need to be just like them, because we're from the same area and we have the same backstory. None of us have the same backstory. No one here is from the exact same place. And if we can always overcome those differences, we can realize that God made us individual for a reason. We're here to touch and help everyone around us by what we've experienced as opposed to what they've experienced. We are a whole bunch of different patches on a ginormous quilt. And we are one being of life and not small individual people who matter a lot. I mean, of course we matter a lot, but we're part of something bigger. And as Abby found life through nature, I found life through the people that I met. And by getting offered to follow someone on Facebook, which for someone who doesn't have Facebook, it means a lot, especially when you respect the person who asked. And I made connections that I hope will last a lifetime. Thank you.
Hi, my name is Camden Hunt, and I am not a heavy sleeper by any means. As I woke up for the fifth or so time in the middle of the night, the only thing that popped into my sunburnt head was, wait a minute, where am I? That feeling of confusion you get when waking up in a place other than your own home was mildly unsettling, but I thought about it. I thought about it a lot. I am in a place where centuries of traditions are made and practiced. I am in a place where friendships are made, strengthened, tested, and strengthened again. I am in a place where despair brings wisdom, not desolation. I am in a place where someone can feel like family to you after only five minutes of conversation. I am in a place where everyone wants nothing more than for everyone else to be okay. I am in a place where I can look up to the sky and see something I will never see again, and in that moment, nothing else matters. As I woke up in the back right seat of that black Ford I had grown familiar with throughout the trip, I looked to my left and I looked in front of me and I saw the people I cared dearly for and I realized I was home. I had been the whole time. In the words of Tom, the elder who gifted us with his seemingly infinite well of knowledge, we know where the man upstairs is. We know where the man downstairs is. Where are you? I encourage you right now to look around. Who is sitting by you? Why are they there? What else do you see? How did the things that are here get there? Why are they here? Who put them there? And most importantly, how do you fit into it all? It can be quite the question at first, I know, but envision this. You're called onto a stage to do a reading of a two-person scene from a play that you haven't seen. You don't know the story, you don't know the characters, you don't know the line, and the director hands out only one script to the other person. You'll have to improvise all of your lines, the other actor knows the premise, knows the story, but they still need you to make the scene work. The person who knows what happens is trying to signal everything to you without straying from the script. Will you attempt to discover your role in the story and perform it at the same time? And together, you make a story. This is exactly how I felt being dropped into a new culture and to become a part of it. It is endlessly fascinating to me to see the imaginary gears turning and to see it all come together. Every person, every log, every branch, every animal, every meal, every conversation, all have their own God-given purposes. And to find your role in that all is amazing, or what I would even call beautiful. The other actor can be many different people. They could be a mentor, a friend, a family member, a coworker, etc. But in the grand scheme of things, God is that other actor. And as, we, as time goes on, we are finding our role in this place we call home. Thank you.